Welcome to the America's Workforce Radio Podcast, the flagship production of the American Workers Radio and Podcast Network, where organized labor and its never-ending fight to protect the rights of the American worker come first. Now, presented by LIUNA, Laborers International Union of North America, here's your host, Ed Flash Ferens. Today marks the beginning of Women's History Month, and on the show we hear from a woman who worked as an organizer for two decades. Also, the United Labor Agency, what they do in prepping workers for future employment. Welcome to the Wednesday, March 1st edition of America's Workforce, where we are available on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. We have two guests on the show today. We're going to start things off with Lane Windham. Lane is an associate director of Georgetown University's Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor. She's also co-director of Will Empower. Will stands for Women Innovating Labor Leadership. And it's only appropriate. Today marks the beginning of Women's History Month. So we're going to talk about some famous female labor leaders with Lane. And uh, Lane, well, she's no stranger to America's workforce. She was one of our regular contributors when we did the segment with the Working Class Studies Department that started back in Youngstown, Ohio, and was kind of continued at Georgetown University with the uh, Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor. One of her pieces was titled Meeting Labor's Moment. Lane points out that in order to see the path forward, we have to consider what's different from the system we've operated in for the past 40 years. And she points about the shift in the 1970s that was counter to what happened in FDR's New Deal. She writes, the pandemic is key to all this. There's far more public awareness about how poorly workers have been treated, and this has driven up public support for unionism. And she talks about the uh, Gallup poll's recent approval of unions at 71%, which is the highest level since 1965. So we'll talk about the future of organizing and how women fit into that role. So Lane Windham will be our first guest. One of our regulars will be joining us later in the show, and that would be Dave Meganhardt on behalf of of the United Labor Agency, which has been around for, my gosh, going into 52 years, started in Cleveland, Ohio. And what I decided to do with the Dave today is kind of give an idea to those of you listening how the ULA works and the model that they created so many years ago. When they started and what they are today are two different animals. Right now they are a jobs firm, and they made some great partnerships with the state of Ohio to connect people with good-paying jobs. And we all know what's happened here. There's been a shift. Look at manufacturing back in the 70s and 80s. Those jobs disappeared. People had to work at lower-paying jobs, service industry jobs, big cuts in pay, lack of benefits. Well, some of those jobs are starting to come back. All the benefits, all the wages, not where they should be, but, you know, that takes some time, and Dave is going to talk about that and a whole lot more as our second guest. And now, a brief look into the world of labor. This segment brought to you by the good folks at Boyd Watterson Asset Management. You can find more at boydwatterson.com. Well, as I indicated, today is the beginning of Women's History Month, and I just want to profile somebody here that you should be aware of. Her name is Ann Feeney. Ann died of COVID-19 in February of last year and was a major player 
in the folk music circuit and the first woman to be president of a musician's union. That would be AFM Local 60-471. In her iconic music career, she performed more than 4,000 shows throughout the United States and Europe and collaborated on a regular basis with artists like Pete Seeger, John Prine, Peter, Paul, and Mary. Her anthem, Have You Been to Jail for Justice?, is sung on picket lines and in jail cells around the world. She regularly performed at union halls, on picket lines, and at rallies. She also graduated with a law degree and practiced law for more than a decade, primarily representing refugees and survivors of domestic violence. Once again, a salute to Ann Feeney. Again, she passed away due to COVID-19 about a year ago. A major player and certainly a woman of distinct history on Women's History Month. All right, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, Lane Windham, Associate Director of the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor. You're listening to America's Workforce with Ed Flash Ferrens. It takes Lyuna to build North America's infrastructure. From roads and bridges to schools and skyscrapers, the men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, build the projects we depend on. From constructing the Freedom Tower on the site of the former World Trade Center to untangling Washington, D.C.'s congested interstate, Lyuna members do the work that matters. Find out what it takes to be built by Lyuna at lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the United Labor Agency. They connect people with employment, 216-666-2185. You can find them online at ulagency.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The United Steelworkers of America represent over 70,000 workers in the state of Ohio. Steelworker members enjoy the benefits of some of the best contracts of any workers in the world. Many of your friends, neighbors, and relatives are members of one of the most effective Democratic unions in our country. With the pressures unorganized workers are under in today's economy, you need to join them. So call the Steelworkers Organizing Office at 216-292-5683 or toll-free at 1-800-443-3752. A great union requires a reliable election system. Survey and Ballot Systems is a trusted election partner with more than 30 years of expertise in managing union elections. By partnering with SBS, 
your union can ensure it gets an auditable process and a high level of customer service. SBS is here to help you conduct your union vote securely, transparently, and with trust building always in mind. Visit surveyandballotsystems.com to learn more. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And remember, you can check us out on Facebook or follow us on Twitter. That would be AWF Union Podcast. Let's go to Washington, D.C. right now. Joining us on our live line is Lane Windup. Lane's been on the show a number of times. She is Associate Director of the Georgetown University Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor. She's also co-director of WILL, and WILL stands for, or WILL Empower, Women Innovating Labor Leadership. And as I indicated at the top of the show, March is Women's History Month. And what we're doing throughout the month is commemorating and celebrating a number of women that had leadership roles, especially dealing with unions. And Lane fits that category. And we're going to talk about that on the show today. Lane Windham, welcome back to America's Workforce. How are we doing today? Terrific. It's wonderful to be with you. We should also point out that Lane is author of Knocking on Labor's Door, Union Organizing in the 1970s and the Roots of a New Economic Divide. Boy, you hit that right on the head. There's a real economic divide in America. We're going to touch on that today. Actually, what we're going to do in the first segment is talk about your uh, recent blog, Meeting Labor's Moment. And um, let's start right there because you write, in your years, almost three decades in the labor movement, you have never seen a moment like what we're going through today. And uh, I know many have said, well, the pandemic changed everything. And yes, it did. But it goes a little farther back than that. Lane, pick it up from there. What What's going on in America today? And it's uh, it's frankly pretty exciting. What do you think? Yeah, thanks, Flash. Yeah, we absolutely, I think, are living through a pivotal moment for working people, really for the future of U.S. labor. And you're right, in part, it is the pandemic. I think it helped sort of spark a kind of worker rights revival. But it, but it is more than that. Um, the shift, I think, actually really started even before the pandemic with the Great Recession, uh, 2008, 2009, right? When you began to have all these new diverse movements begin to challenge things. So think back, right? We had Occupy, then, of course, Black Lives, the Me Too movement, Day Without an Immigrant. Um, And even before the pandemic, you began to see that labor activity was increasing. You had, remember, all those people on strike in 2018 and 2019. We had Red for Ed, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, And so the pandemic really deepened that and made it even more of a pivotal moment. And of course, we see all the striking that's been happening. Not too long ago, we had all the higher ed in California. And of course, we're all excited to see all the organizing like at Starbucks and Amazon. So I think we are living through a really historic moment. Yeah, there there is a movement going on. And add to that is the uh, overall acceptance of unions. You point out in your blog, 71% of the people today approve of unions. Let, let's let's get into that a little bit. Uh, what do you think's happening here? Are people finally waking up and realizing, well, wait a minute, there's got to be a better way to make a living out there. And, uh, and you, boy, you think about how many people, how many low-wage jobs, stagnant 
lifestyles that people had to encounter for so many years. Is this kind of like a like a worker rebellion going on, in your opinion, Lane? Well, I do think that the pandemic did help shift what will, people are willing to accept from a job. There's just far more public awareness about how poorly workers have been treated. We all watched as those essential workers had to go back to poorly paid jobs where they were, you know, not treated well. And so this has driven up, as you noted, it's driven up public support for unions. Uh, Gallup polling shows that public support is higher than it's been in 40 years. And what's so interesting is that is especially true among young people. Uh, there's a new uh, new study out that shows that Gen Z, our youngest workers, are now the most pro-union generation alive. They are more pro-union than the millennials, Gen X, or boomers were at their age. So that's really uh, exciting. And, you know, when these young people look around, what do they see? Uh, they uh, see that they are having to enter an entire employment system, which has long rested on those low-wage, no-benefits kind of jobs, those McJobs, <laughs> and they're just not willing to take it anymore. Uh, they are yeah. demanding uh, – they either won't take those jobs or they're demanding that they, that they be better jobs. And so, yes, I do think we're in a moment when workers are pushing back our um, – you know, there is a sort of revolution happening in ter- for, for among these low-age workers and especially among uh, young workers, I think. You point out, too, in your blog um, some comparisons here, and it, it's almost here speculating. You're, you're looking ahead into the year 2040. Now, that's years away. God knows what's going to happen by then, but uh, you'll look back at 1940. There's like a 100-year span there, and you think about the 30s, the strikes that went on at, you know, right after the New Deal with FDR and, and the creation of the Labor Board, the National Labor Relations Board, programs like Social Security, and we saw a very vibrant middle class happen. And union density, I've said this on the show many, many times, peaked in the in the 1950s i think it was 53 54 we had like one out of three members workers that were involved in a union that that were paying union dues and and making a good life for themselves let's look at 2040 here do you have any i know this is pure speculation but talk to me about that part if this continues what's happening in 2023 what do you see happening in the next uh, 15, 20 years here, Lane? Well, I think in some ways that is that question is up to these young people and what kind of uh, movement they can create. I think it's up to to the U.S. labor movement and to working people in general. A strong and vibrant labor movement uh, of 2040 is going to look really different than a strong and vibrant labor movement of 1940. Of course, right? It's 100 years different. And so, you know, we can no longer rely on the the laws and structures that served us uh, in the 1930s and 40s. We need more. What do I mean by that? Well, there's always going to be a place for 
collective bargaining that is going to be a key part of how we boost wages, how we build a better life for working people in this country. But we cannot rely solely on those New Deal laws and those New Deal institutions for the 21st century. Uh, We need to uh, be able to build new kinds of organizations in new ways. Um, And in part, that's because employers have so irreparably broken the U.S. system for forming unions that it's very difficult for workers to jump through all the hurdles it takes to win a union and enter into a collective bargaining agreement. You know, the numbers uh, just came out in January about the union membership for 2022, and uh, the percentage of the workforce that has a union dipped again. We're now at 10.1% of the workforce has a union. Um, And what that says to me isn't that people aren't interested in unions. We just talked about how there is broad interest in unions. The problem is the system in this country for entering into the collective bargaining uh, arrangement is broken and uh, is not working for the vast number of people. So I think we need to think about a movement that uh, thinks about how to lift standards for workers, whether they are part of a union or part of a collective bargaining agreement or not, right? So that Mm -hmm. could mean things like, um, you know, uh, fighting for just cause employment for all workers. The U.S. is one of the only nations in the Western world where private sector workers can be fired without just cause. It could mean fighting for increased rights on the job, whether you have union representation or not. Uh, And I think in many ways, that's the future of the worker justice movement in this country. Yeah, I saw that in your article. I didn't realize we were the only nation in the Western world where private sector workers can be fired without just cause. I mean, we're at will employees. We're at the will of the employer. On any given day, that employer could say, you know what? I don't like you here anymore. You're gone. And it's simple as that. That's right. That's right. And people think they have more rights than they do. But unless you have unless you have a a union contract or some kind of contract, you everybody is uh, at, at will employment. You know, we're also the only, and you know this, Lane, we don't have paid family leave in this country. I know that's been a sticky issue in Washington. I, I know a lot of the conservatives feel, well, the government shouldn't be involved in that. Let the private sector handle it. And the private sector is handling it. Why? Because the workers want that paid family leave, maternity leave. There's a, that's a, a whole other show there. But I, you brought up those, uh, those numbers about union density. If, if, if you don't mind, I want to go back to that for a minute. Uh, sure. 10.1%, that was overall. The, there was an increase. I don't know if you noticed it. There were more people joining unions. It was well over 200,000. Yeah. The issue, yes. the issue, yeah, yeah, the issue is there's there's more people today. That that's, that's the issue. That's right. That's right. So 14.3 million people have a union. Uh, it's 200,000 more than last year, but the whole workforce has grown. So the union membership didn't keep up with the growth and <clears throat> the the overall uh, job growth. 
Lane, that figure too, that 10.1%, uh, there was a boost in uh, private, in the private sector, which was certainly good news. There was a shedding of jobs in the government sector. I think a lot of that had to do with the, uh, the pandemic, and hopefully some of that will be coming back. I know the AFL-CIO has embarked on a campaign to organize at least a million new members in the next 10 years. I know Liz Schuler mentioned that when uh, she became the new president of the AFL-CIO following the uh, passing of Rich Trumka. So we'll see what happens here. You know what? i got to take a quick break. Lane Windham joining us on our live line. Lane is associate director of the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor. As I mentioned, March is Women's History Month. Let's talk about some women labor leaders that truly made history. That's coming up next. This is America's Workforce. More shows available at awfradio.com. It takes Lyuna to power North America with affordable energy. The men and women of Lyuna, the Laborers International Union of North America, have the skills needed to build and maintain oil, natural gas, nuclear, solar, and wind projects that are shaping America's energy future. From new energy tech to retrofitted facilities, Lyuna members do it all. Find out what it takes to be powered by Lyuna at Lyuna.org. That's L-I-U-N-A. We're the nurses, firefighters, and claims representatives that help keep our government services running. We respond to natural disasters. We care for our nation's veterans. And we investigate discrimination in the workplace. We are federal and D.C. government workers. And we are proud to serve the American people. Working in more than 70 agencies across the government, we know we can fulfill our mission because our union has our back. Learn more at AF. FGE.org. Paid for by the American Federation of Government Employees, AFL-CIO. There is unity and strength for workers. We are the USW. We are the USW. The, the United, United Steelworkers. Steel the largest industrial union in North America. We represent 850,000 members in, in the, the U.S., US Canada, Canada, and the, the Caribbean. Caribbean. We work in metals, rubber, chemicals, paper, oil refining, atomic energy, and the service sector. We are steel workers, standing strong and fighting for what's right. The Heat and Frost Insulators and Allied Workers are proud to be a title sponsor for America's Workforce Radio. The Insulators Union is leading the way in the mechanical insulation industry, fire stopping, and infectious disease control. Regarded as North America's energy conservation specialist, these professionals are known for their professional work and dedication. You can learn more about the Insulators Union at insulators.org. Buildings, bridges, skyscrapers, and more. Structures that are the face of our cities and towns were built by members of the Ironworkers Union. That's why it's important that our workforce of over 130,000 ironworkers continues to be the safest and best trained in the field. With 154 training centers, we invest over $90 million annually in safety and training. We're growing the next generation of union ironworkers. There are so many reasons to put your trust in our ironworkers and their employers. Learn more about us at ironworkers.org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this next segment brought to you by the North Coast Labor Federation. America's Workforce is sponsored in part by Boyd Watterson Asset Management, LLC. Find out more about our investment solutions tailored to meet the needs of Taft-Hartley funds at boydwaterson.com. 
to Ed Flash Ferrens with America's Workforce. And remember, you can check us out on at least six platforms. That includes Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Spotify, Pandora, and Stitcher. When you get an opportunity, just sign up and receive our shows on a regular basis and give us a rating. We always appreciate those five-star ratings, so please keep them coming. And if you like a show, please share that show. We like to count all the downloads. Our sponsors like that. We want to grow the show in 2023, 30 years for America's workforce. We started in 1993, hard to believe that, and I've been hosting this show for 25 years coming up in June. Let's go back to our live line and uh, rejoin Lane Windham. Lane is Associate Director of the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor. She was an organizer back in the uh, 90s. Boy, that seems like a lifetime ago for you. And you were telling me off the air you were an organizer in the South, in the right-to-work states. That had to be interesting. I, that could be a whole nother show. Lane, can you share a few <laughs> thoughts about that time in your sure, career? Sure, I'd love to. I'd love to. So, you know, I'm originally from Atlanta, and I organized throughout the South with the the what was called the Amalgamated Clothing and Textile Workers Union, which then later became part of Unite. And I uh, spent my time talking with clothing and textile workers in Mississippi and Tennessee and North Carolina, Florida, Georgia, talking to people about their jobs and why they wanted to form unions. Um, and in fact, many of them won. We won at Fieldcrest Cannon, at Toltex, at a number of other places. Uh, of course, what happened was that entire industry was uh, decimated. And so all those workers who had fought so hard to form a union uh, didn't have a union or a job, uh, you know, after into the 2000s. Uh, so, yeah, I'd be happy to, to talk with you at length about that sometime. Yeah, that could be another time. And, and sadly, much of that had to do with the trade deals that our politicians crafted over the years. We talk a lot about China and normalizing relations. We lost at least 4 million jobs because of trade deals. And, you know, and it took a long time. Finally, some of the politicians are realizing that was a mistake. It's not a good idea. And yep, we're dealing yep. with, yeah, yeah, they, they finally realize. And that's part of what we talk about on the show here, because there is a direct connection with what happens in Washington and how workers are being treated, mistreated, or losing their jobs. There's a clear there's a clear path there, but I want to focus. I want to get back on on women leaders, and uh, let's start right with Liz Schuler. I'm sure when uh, when that all happened, and I gotta you gotta give some credit to Rich Trumka. Uh, Rich is just a great guy. He was a visionary. He picked Liz as his secretary treasurer. My God, it was at least maybe 12 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. So she was kind of next in line. Sadly, he passes away suddenly, and then she takes over the reins. Lane, as a female, as a woman organizer, uh, working at the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working, that had to be monumental for you. Can you share a few thoughts on on Liz Schuler's rise to the leadership of the AFL-CIO? Sure, I'd love to. You know, I had the enormous privilege of attending the AFL-CIO convention in Philadelphia this summer and being there when President Liz Schuler was elected as the first woman to lead the national AFL-CIO. It was absolutely a historic moment. Gives me chills just to think about it right now. 
And that during that convention, uh, President Schuler made clear from the start that she is a really terrific leader for today's labor movement. She set a pace at that convention for a record level of diversity, for inclusion. You could really feel it and see it in the diverse group in attendance and who was up at the microphones. Um, and I am so excited that she is leaning into this organizing moment that we're living through today that we were just talking about. Uh, the AFL-CIO has started their Center for Trans Transformational Organizing, uh, which is prioritizing organizing and everything the Federation does. And I am excited to see what grows uh, from that initiative. You know, uh, but there, it's not just Liz. There are more women leading labor now than ever before. I don't know if you know this, but uh, just recently, April Sims and Sharika Carter, two women of color, were inducted as the top two leaders of the Washington State uh, Federation of Labor. Um, and that's very exciting. You've got women leading the NEA, the AFT, SAG-AFTRA, just to name a few. So I see uh, a whole generation of, of women who are coming into labor leadership positions. It's funny you mentioned the American Federation of Teachers because, uh, Randy, did you see the story? I, I think it was, uh, uh, yeah, Mike Pompeo, who used to be the Secretary of State in the Trump administration, he called her the most dangerous person, not just in America, but in the world. Now, <laughs> okay, this is, this is one individual saying this. I, that had to floor you when you heard that. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, um, you know, I, uh, Barbara Kingsolver has a quote that, you know, uh, women are basically, uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but women are basically punished <laughs> for being aggressive and for mm -hmm. being outspoken and men are, uh, rewarded for that. Uh, and I think that's what we see in the case of, uh, Randy Weingarten, because she absolutely is outspoken and is out there fighting for her members. And um, she is, you know, clearly not um, having the kind of leadership, leadership persona that certain uh, right wing conservatives think a woman should have. And I think it's important for everyone in the movement to to, you know, recognize uh, that kind of discrimination uh, yeah. and to make sure that we are setting standards for ourselves and our members that are fully inclusive. She's a woman and she's a head of a union. So the conservatives right there, that that's, that's not a good formula. They don't want that. And they feel that uh, they're under attack, but uh, yeah, Randy is a fighter. We've had her on the show a number of times and uh, we're going to probably have her here on the month of March here to talk more about powerful women leaders like her uh oh, let, let's go great. back in a, let's go back in time here a little bit I, i'd like to uh get some of your thoughts on some of the women in years past and you know to me number one is mother jones and if anybody listening right now doesn't know who mother jones was they should just go to the internet and uh and google what what this woman accomplished uh, I'm just wondering, have you discussed, I'm sure you could share your thoughts on her, and there's probably some that we're not aware of. You mentioned the ones in, in Washington State, and I appreciate that. But in our history, as we celebrate 
Women's History Month. Um, the impact of people like Mother Jones. Can we start there? Sure. Let's start with Mother Jones, and and then we can talk about some other uh, historical figures. Um, you know, Mother Jones is such an interesting figure because she started her union activism late in life. A lot of people don't know this, but her husband and four children died of yellow fever. And then her her dress shop was destroyed in the Chicago fire. She picked up that would destroy a lot of people, but she picked up late in her life and became a union organizer for the Knights of Labor, for the for the United Mine Workers, um, and absolutely helped lead this pivotal moment uh, in, in U.S. history. Uh, in fact, and it, she was 70 years old in 1913 when she helped lead a strike at, the, at Rockefeller's Col- Colorado Fuel and Iron Company that, of course, led to the terrible Ludlow Massacre, where um, the um, guards uh, and the militia machine gunned and torched a uh, tent colony of strikers. Uh, but she, she had helped lead that fight and she kept fighting until her death in 1930. And so she is absolutely somebody who is a, um, a, a leader that we should learn more about. Lane, as I recall reading about mother Jones history, I, I think there was a time they called her the most dangerous woman in America. Do you, do you recall that? Absolutely. She was uh, called that largely by the people in power <laughs> because she was organizing mine workers and their families. They So the people in power feared Mother Jones. Absolutely. Now, are there a couple others that um, people are not familiar with? I, I know you've done so much research into labor history, and we got a couple of minutes left here in the show. Can you share a couple of... Uh, women leaders that made a difference for workers, men and female? Absolutely. And, I, you know, this it's, could be a whole show, but here's just a few. Uh, Luisa Moreno was an immigrant from Guatemala who organized with the Cannery Packing and Agricultural Union in the 1930s. She traveled all over the South organizing African-American and Latina cigar rollers, uh, in Miami, pecan shellers in Texas, there was a big strike in Texas. Addie Wyatt uh, was active in the Meatpackers Union in Chicago. Uh, she led the Civil and Women's Rights Department um, for the United Food and Commercial Workers. And President Kennedy appointed her to the Commission on the Status of, win- of Women. And in fact, people don't realize this, but she was a co-founder of the National Organization of of women. Um, and of course, many people here uh, probably know about the Triangle Shirtwaist fire that happened in 1911 in New York, but they may not know about Clara Limlick, who is a young immigrant worker, 19 years old, who stood up and demanded that those workers have the right to strike. And she actually spoke out against the men who are leading her union, the International Ladies Garment Workers Union, who did not want the women to strike, and she demanded the right. And 1909 uh, for for a big big strike in that industry. So there there are just a few people who uh, your listeners may not have heard of and who absolutely were foundational in the labor movement in this country. 
You know, we've referenced the uh, Triangle Shirtwaist Fire on the show. The anniversary is, in fact, this month. I think it's like March 25th when that happened in 1911. And one of the people that witnessed that was Frances Perkins, who later became, under FDR, the first female to head the U.S. Labor Department. So there's, there's, a, lot, there's a lot of movers and shakers there. When it comes to the female population, Lane, it's been a pleasure to have you come to the table today to discuss this and so much more. Um, how's the uh, how's the gig working for you over at uh, Georgetown at the Kalmanovitz Initiative for Labor and the Working Poor? It's, it's wonderful. And in fact, um, Will Empower uh, has uh, we are in the middle of hiring for our apprenticeship program. So if there are people who want to try out their first job and the uh, worker justice movement. They should check out willempower.org uh, and learn a little bit about our apprenticeship program. That's right. Lane is a co-director of that Will Empower, and Will is the acronym for Women Innovating Labor Leadership. Good stuff there. Lane, thank you so much. Keep up the great work that you're doing and uh, keep in touch with us, okay? Terrific. Thank you. All right. We're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to link up with Dave Meganhart on behalf of the United Labor Agency. This is America's Workforce. It takes Layuna to keep America running. Over 70,000 public employees are part of Layuna, the Laborers International Union of North America delivering critical services such as health care and emergency response, as well as maintaining roads and sanitation systems. Even the National Postal Mail Handlers Union, representing over 47,000 U.S. postal workers, is affiliated with LIUNA. Find out what it takes for LIUNA to keep America running at LIUNA.org. That's L-I-U-N-A dot org. You're listening to America's Workforce, and this upcoming segment is brought to you by the Ohio Federation of Teachers. Check them out online at oft-aft.org. Hello from the Communication Workers of America, District 4. We are a labor union representing a vast array of workers in different industries, including the Association of Flight Attendants, Telecommunications, CWA Passenger Services, Public Health Care, and Education Workers, the IUE, CWA Industrial Division, the National Association of Broadcast Employees, the CWA News Guild, not to mention our growing digital sector, and many others. If you're interested in organizing your work group or learning more about what it means to be CWA strong, visit our website at www.cwad4.org. That's cwad4.org. The AFL-CIO is a proud sponsor of America's Workforce Radio. United by efforts to raise wages, listeners to this show and workers all across America are beginning to turn a corner and drive the economic debate. The AFL-CIO is comprised of 12.5 million working people, but we stand with and fight for everyone who is working for a better life. For more information about our Raising Wages agenda, go to AFLCIO.org. America's Workforce appreciates our sponsor, the Columbus Central Ohio Building and Construction Trades Council, who represents more than 18,000 workers from 19 affiliated local unions and district councils. 
hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland at 216-881-1802. Call Music Talent of Cleveland as your dependable source for professional musicians in Northeast Ohio. Union musicians add harmony to weddings, elegance to parties, and uplifting music for all events. Music Talent of Cleveland contracts solo and ensemble musicians as well as bands and orchestras for single engagements. So hire union musicians. Call Music Talent of Cleveland today. 216-881-1802. America's Workforce Radio is sponsored in part by the International Union of Painters and Allied Trades, District Council 6, representing painters, glazers, drywall finishers, and sign and display industry workers. They remind you that belonging to a union is your right as an American. Now, back to America's Workforce. Here's Ed Flash Ferens. And don't forget, you can check us out on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. That would be a WF Union podcast. Let's go to line number two right now. Welcome one of our longtime regulars and supporter of America's workforce. That would be Dave Meganhart, who is the executive director of the United Labor Agency. You hear me talk about them on the show every other day. It's ulagency.org. Been around since 1971, and today... Just want to inform our listeners a little background on the ULA and Dave's role in it and what an impact they have made for so many people in the area. And it's something I think those of you listening or nationally podcast, you might want to give him a call. I know he's love, love to hear from more people because he's so darn busy and talk about the model that they've created to kind of reconnect workers to uh, good paying jobs. Dave Meganhart, I'm sorry I put you in that position, but I know you like doing what you're doing. OK, <laughs> absolutely. And more, the more calls, the better. Absolutely. There you go. There you go. Why don't you talk to me how, how the ULA actually works? I think it's important that people understand that. Go ahead. Sure. So it was created by um, labor, by the labor movement, uh, UAW, the Teamsters, and AFL-CIO. And, uh, you know, the, the idea behind it always was to address community need that was beyond the collective bargaining agreements. And so the model that we've kind of created over, over time is, um, you know, how – how it with the change in economy and how it's affecting workers and you know as free trade agreements were created as industrial jobs moved as this uh, like the sectors uh, were always boiling and always changing you know the, uh, what we saw over time was of course that workers were always left behind or they were affected mostly by these currents of the economy so we created services to help kind of uh, help workers navigate through those those you know turbulent times right so we saw a lot of industri- industrialization in northeast ohio of course over the past 40 years um and what happens to those workers because a lot of times they can be mid-career they can be in there or they could be in their 50s and they had you know still 10 15 years left to work you know, how do you retrain them how do you understand you know assess what their skills are and get them into new work so that's sort of where this what's called workforce development idea began with us uh, as we saw our brothers and sisters um, struggling and figuring out what the next step was. So over time, um, you know, we've just kind of honed our skills on that. And so not only does it include people that have been, you know, affected, uh, laid off, as no fault of their own, but it's also people that are marginally uh, attached to the workforce. So maybe they have a dead-end job. Maybe they need new skills in which to kind of uh, get on a career path. And, you know, I'm not 
talking about a career path like it's you're going to end up being a CFO or something, but it could it, it could be a career path of going up uh, into you know different categories, make more money, make you know get more skills, um, and you know always leading to a uh, family sustaining wage, right? So, you know, what we what we do is that we go out and fan out through the community and we have community ambassadors and we have people that are called community development specialists and they they go throughout the community to try to spread the word about what services we can provide. So they're at you know, that we create job fairs and we are at mayors, you know, local mayors events. We've had uh, most recently a event in Darfield and Maple Heights. We had one in Euclid. We have we've had several in Cleveland just over the past, you know, the past couple of months. Um, again, to try to, to find to find those people that could, you, you know, use our services. Um and then, you know, from then, we, when people come in, we assess what they can do, what they want to do, um, and we then uh, you, you connect them with vocational training. Um, and, you know, it's all, again, this is no, no charge to anybody. This is all paid through uh, government grants and we, that we administer. And, you know, then we find out uh, – what, what you know what training they want to go to uh, and then we send them to training they get trained and then they get a job and they're off on their on their career pathway um, over the past couple of years we've done a tremendous amount of training I mean we've we're averaging you know seven hundred eight hundred people uh, every year that come through get training uh, graduate and then go on to um, these different jobs that you know in in industries that they were not working in before. Also, what we do, if even if somebody who doesn't want to go to training or just needs a job, then we work with employers to try to match uh, their skill set to open jobs. And also, we're kind of like, you know, pushing employers, of course, for job quality. And we, we want to see, we want to work with employers that are high-road employers that have good working uh, conditions, that have good wages, that have good benefits. Um, you know, employers that don't, you know, that don't provide those things don't need our help. And, um, and so, you know, we kind of call through what, what, you know, what those uh, employers offer to be able to find the best opportunities for the people that are coming in. So, you know, we're, it's been super successful over the, over the years. Um, and, you know, we really feel like it's a, uh, a, a great value add, but one you know, one thing that we've noticed, of course, is that especially you know it's been brewing for a long time, and um, even in our history, at the very beginning of the ULA, uh, we had something called the Union Counselors Association, and the, the idea about the Union Counselor Association was that all of these mental health issues, all of these things that can affect somebody, a worker, um, come into the workplace. Or you know, so there could be uh, somebody in your family that needs help, or you know, or anything, anything that could happen outside comes into the workplace, right? Mm-hmm. And so we we train we would train peers to like on the social um, network, you know, the social service network of how you find help for your fellow workers. And you know, it was we had a massive network of people in in, in the unions, and you know, we're really we've it kind of um, evolved into what was called the union community activist network, uh, where it was much more um, focused on just activism. But as this kind of 
change has happened in our society. We're noting we're noticing you know a lot of people with mental health issues, a lot of people, and I'm not talking about you know heavy you know like schizophrenia or anything. I'm talking about just depression and trauma and uh, and uh, you know all of that or the or their family, and so. What we're thinking about is like, you know, and we see this with workforce development. We see the people that are coming through looking for work or looking for training. They have, they have other issues that they're bringing with them. So the ULA is looking into, you know, creating a deeper counseling service, right? It'll be at a model of the uh, union, uh, union counselor association, but we're also, we're also going to provide, um, you know, certified counseling services to help people navigate this through because it, it mm-hmm. we're finding that that they have maybe larger issues that we can deal with when we're just trying to find them a job or training so i think that's been that's kind of an exciting uh twist on what we're doing because we'll be able to help uh more thoroughly deeper whereas in the old union counselors association where we would refer out we're basically going to refer to ourselves and be able to handle um these community issues uh, in in our with ourselves, right? Yeah. Um, and it could be a direct, it could be an absolutely direct service to unions, right? We want to be able to provide because again, union members have some issues too to help them get through life, and um, we want to be there to try to make them, you know, to help self actualize to get them the help they need, um, so they don't fall out of employment. So that's one thing you, that's really going to happen. You talk about the the trade deals, and uh, over the years, Dave, you know yeah. how many people lost good paying jobs, good oh, yeah. paying jobs. I mean, to Mexico, to China, to Vietnam, and I, I could see the depression there. I mean, you lose a good yeah. paying job, you lose your health care, you got a family to support. You, you're scratching right. your head, wondering what the heck am I going to do now? And more often than not. You've got to uh, be trained for a new job, and right. often that job is not going to pay what the other job paid. Now, yeah. there there is a shift going on here with uh, advanced manufacturing. Um, I'm just wondering, a lot of the people that you're dealing with today at the ULA, are, are we seeing them going into those sectors right now? Because that is going to be, yeah. the manufacturing today is not like the manufacturing of the 70s no. or the 80s. No, no doubt true. about that. But does the ULA fit into that? It does. Yeah, we, we really help people get into advanced manufacturing. We have um, we work with uh, all the vocational schools that offer that, um, and we really we really push it. I mean, so that's that's been a popular uh, avenue for people. Also, healthcare, believe it or not. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, we've seen a, a real uptick in uh, people wanting to go into nursing, um, which you know. It's a little counterintuitive because a lot of people left nursing because of COVID and all that stuff. But there's right. been a really great demand for that again, and you're seeing more interest in that as well. And I mean, you're right, uh, Flash. The manufacturing has changed. Um, it's much more technical. It's much cleaner. Um, they always talk about being, you know, like it's not your grandfather's manufacturing anymore. You're not looking at smoky, dirty places. But yet you need more skills, though, right? There's this, there's a lot more robotics. There's a lot more automation. There's a lot more technical skills that you need, which is, you know, what we can help with. Those are the skills, very skills that we can help train people to get to take advantage of those jobs. So 
The ULA, ULAgency.org. We're speaking with Dave Meganhart, Executive Director. For how many years now, Dave, have you been? Oh, I, I, I started as Executive Director in 1998, so <laughs> 25 years by my count. He's- <laughs> you've seen you've seen a lot of changes over those years. It's amazing. Yeah. So are, are you uh, are you uh, set up for the future here? I mean, you got a great team, but I'd like to hear from you a uh, lot. You know, there's always changes. You know that sure. uh, technology is evolving as we speak. I'm just wondering, are you prepared for the future here? Yeah, I think we are prepared for the future. It's interesting you say that because um, I think the other big initiative that we want to uh, embark on this year is, you know, we want to, we want, we understand that the, you know, there's a lot of online learning. There's a lot of opportunities for people to do online learning. And of course, the, of course the uh, pandemic sped that all up. Um, but I think there's a place uh, to create like a digital online uh, community, like a learning community and to try to help people. You know, this is tied to workforce development, but it may be, uh, maybe it's smaller. These are smaller trainings. They're one-offs. They're smaller certificates. They're things that you can that that are out there that can help people build skills that aren't necessarily a course of study that want it, that you know takes eight weeks or ten weeks or whatever that, mm-hmm. that can be done um, in their home or that can be done you know in their own uh, at their own pace. But it has to be sort of curated. It has to be – people have to be helped through that because there's such a mass amount of it out there um, sure. and to find out what's important. And so I think that we're always – ULA is always kind of thinking about what what's affecting the economy, how we can be a value add to the community. Um, and, you know, I think that we've been around 52 years. We're, we know we're a healthy agency. We're engaged in the debate about what's – best for you know the community and how we can help northeast ohio thrive um and so i think that yeah i think that why i feel i feel good about the agency i feel good about the team that we have um we have a lot of bright people that um they're a lot younger than i am which is good because uh, then you know, pass the torch um so you're constantly trying to um now you're trying to train them, trying to get them involved and trying to help to see who will be the next generation that leads the agency forward. So that's all. It's all been great. It's been a great experience over the, you know, over my tenure. Certainly good to hear. And I like what you said, because uh, there is a lot of information out there and it's important that we cut through the clutter because people are so confused. And when they get bombarded with information, they kind of shut down. So it's important that you have an agency like the ULA to sift through that for you and uh, get the job done. And that's what we want. ULAgency.org. Dave Meganhart, thank you so much. You take care. We'll talk to you in two months. Okay, my brother? Thanks. That'll be it for another edition of America's Workforce. Tomorrow, the woman behind the Butch Lewis Act and the Illinois Economic Policy Institute on the repeal of prevailing wage laws and how workers have been affected. Until then, all of you have a safe and wonderful day. That concludes another episode of the America's Workforce Radio Podcast. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe so you never miss a show. America's Workforce is a production of Labor Tools and BMA Media Group. Find out more information online at labortools.com.